Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Eric Iyer. Eric is a journalist from the Charleston Gazette Mail, and he's written extensively about health, healthcare, as well as the opioid epidemic that uh, the nation is under and West Virginia is under. So, Eric, welcome. Well, thanks very much for having me on, Greg. So, last month, you wrote a just an incredible piece about opioid distribution in West Virginia. And your team analyzed shipments between 2007 and 2012. And you learned that wholesalers had shipped enough opioids to supply every man, woman, and child with 433 pills during that time. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Sure. Um, Well, basically what I set out to do was to track the deluge of the prescription opioids into the state. And we follow them into individual counties and to pharmacies and also to families. Um, the investigation, or looking at the data that we had from the DEA, we found that the drug distributors shipped about 780 million hydrocodone and oxycodone pills, uh, hydrocodone being Lortab, uh, Norco, oxycodone being Oxycontin, in just six years. And during that same period, Seven. Give me that number again, seven, Eric. Give us that number once again. 780 million. Wow. Just of hydrocodone and oxycodone. That's all. Those are the only two drug numbers that we had. Um, we, we, you know, obviously there's a number of other Xanax and other um, drugs that can cause overdoses. Um, but uh, that was, yeah, 780 million into this that's statewide. Uh, during the same period, uh, more than 1,700 people fatally overdosed <clears throat> on those two painkillers. Um, we also found that the wholesaler supplied uh, ever higher doses of the pills, which is usually a sign of a growing addiction as the uh, as the overdose deaths climbed. Now, what, what one thing that was interesting is one of the the, the many of the largest shipments often went to. I would call them mom-and-pop drugstores, sort of the independent-owned drugstore. Um, and those small drugstores were in poor rural counties. Uh, one example, uh, here's another number that's striking. 
in a town, uh, Kermit, West Virginia, a population 382, a single pharmacy was shipped almost 9 million hydrocodone pills in just two years. For 382 people. Right. Wow. So I, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but that number would be substantially higher than 433 pills per person. So, hmm. um, extraordinary number. And they're um, located in Mingo County, isn't that right? Right. And, and that's, that's one. That's one of the counties that has the highest overdose death rate in the in the nation. Now, that particular pharmacy was ultimately shut down, um, and it also served uh, parts of it's it's on the border of Kentucky, uh, which is also an area of high overdose death rates. Um, so, um, the other, the other finding, uh, we found that, uh, uh, the, the a disproportionate number of pain pills went to the poorest and most rural counties. And also, uh, for more than a decade, the distributors were supposed to report suspicious orders for drugs in West Virginia to our state board of pharmacy. They did not do that. But then we found out later that the board of pharmacy failed to enforce their rules that required the reporting of this suspicious order. And what a suspicious order is is when a pharmacy orders an you know an excessive number of pills, high volume, or uh, over consecutive days, a large volume over consecutive days. So those are the main uh, findings we had from our story. And when you talk about the wholesalers, you're talking about McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen, right? Cardinal Health uh, was number one in West Virginia in distributions. Uh, McKesson was number two, and Amerisource was number three. Okay. So going back to uh, something that you mentioned a little bit earlier. So between 2007 and 2012, West Virginia lost about 1,728 people to overdoses to these drugs. Yet at the very same time, opioid uh, dosage strength was increasing. How can the drug companies justify that? What they say is that, hey, we're simply the middlemen. We distribute the drugs from the manufacturers to the pharmacies. And they say that they only distribute drugs to licensed doctors and licensed pharmacies. So um, they seem to want to blame everybody but themselves. These wholesalers are, are supposed to self-report and self-monitor uh, irregularities, and they're supposed to be reporting that on a regular basis, I guess monthly basis, to the state board. But the board wasn't doing anything. They weren't even reporting on that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that for, for at least a, a decade, there were no reports at all. And then in 2012, the state filed, a, the attorney general, the former attorney general filed a lawsuit against these drug wholesalers. And then two of them started filing uh, reports uh, by the boatload. Uh, but then we found out later that the board, state board of pharmacy, instead of acting on these reports, let's say, you know, give them to the state police or something like that, they simply were collecting them and putting them in a box and then putting them on a shelf in the in the boardroom. I went over there and I even asked them, do you know how many 
reports uh, of suspicious orders that you've received from since 2012. They said, we have no idea. So I had to do a hand count, and I believe there was something like 7,000, but only two of the McKesson and um, Cardinal Health, only two of the tr distributors were actually filing these reports. And, and then again, nothing was done with them. They just were, um, you know, placed in this box. And as a matter of fact, I saw that there was a big gap during the years for Cardinal Health, and it was eight months of reports. And I asked, and they said, well, those are missing. I said, what do you mean missing? And said, well, they didn't get filed or they were lost. So, um, yeah, there was a big, um, they, they certainly uh, dropped the ball at the Board of Pharmacy. Now, um, they had a meeting last month that they said that they're finally going to start, um, you know, looking at these, actually doing something with the reports, probably giving them to the Attorney General and to the um, state police. And they also are sending letters to the wholesalers saying, you must comply with the law. I mean, this is a rule that's been on the books since 2001, possibly even earlier, uh, that nobody was, was enforcing and nobody was following. Hmm. So... Uh, basically, going back to the wholesalers, these wholesalers, McKesson, Cardinal Health, Amerisource, Bergen, the top three, they, they sold 423 million pain pills and, and they earned something like $17 billion uh, during the time covered by your report. And, and one of their CEOs, McKesson, uh, made more money than the average income of 2,000 West Virginia families combined. Wow. What's wrong with this picture? Right. Yeah, he he had a, um, a compens total compensation that year was $89 million. Um, that was one of the things that I didn't know going into this, how big these companies are. Uh, McKesson is the fifth largest corporation in the United States, not the fifth largest uh, pharmaceutical company, the fifth largest corporation, period. Um, they make extraordinary amounts of money. I mean, we're talking uh, net income in the billions of dollars uh, annually. Um, their their CEOs are all paid in the tens of millions of dollars. Um, I think the three of them combined are about the size of Walmart of the big three. So they're just, and, and you know, they're all Fortune 500 companies. So um, I I didn't realize frankly, how, how big they were. And it, it's not a, as somebody explained to me, it's not like a complicated industry. You're simply transporting drugs from the factory to a warehouse to a pharmacy. So it's not like an innovative industry. You know, it's not like an Apple or something like that. But um, highly, highly profitable. So their practices and ignoring the regulations and ignoring reporting over a 10-year period, it would appear it finally caught up to them here recently, uh, just in the last week or so. You wrote a report about a settlement that uh, the uh, government reached with Cardinal Health as well as Amerisource Bergen. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, they, um, they announced uh, just this week uh, that uh, Cardinal Health was going to pay uh, $20 million to the state to settle the lawsuit. Marisource Bergen was to pay uh, uh, $16 million uh, to, to settle the lawsuit. 
Amerisource Bergen case was actually set to go to trial. There's there are two separate lawsuits, but the Amerisource Bergen was set to go to trial uh, first week of January. Um, the the hope and the idea is that they're taking they've set up a special account in the state auditor's office here, where they're taking the proceeds of the settlement after they the attorneys get their attorneys' fees, of course, a third. Uh, but they're going to take the money and put it towards uh, substance abuse uh, treatment and prevention. Uh, the only holdout so far is the Attorney General. He hasn't said if he will commit his portion to uh, substance abuse and, and treatment. Um, the governor has asked him to, and he's still waiting for a response. But um, the two other entities that were involved in the lawsuit are Department of Health and Human Resources and uh, Department of Military Affairs and Public Safety, which is sort of the law enforcement uh, agency, they're both committing to put all the money into substance abuse treatment and prevention. So uh, that's a, that's one positive sign. So you you spoke a little earlier about the size of these companies and their annual revenues um, being in the billions, being you know up there with the biggest of the bigs in our uh, country. So, thirty-six million—that would seem to be just a slap on the wrist, wouldn't it? Is that really going to hurt them? Yeah, I, I frankly, I don't think so. Um, these companies are also. What's another interesting thing is that they're also uh, face—they've uh, paid multiple fines. Just uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Cardinal Health. Uh, U.S. had a settlement with the U.S. Justice Department for distributions in Maryland and Florida and New York, and they paid uh, 44 million in that settlement. McKesson, the year before in 2015, paid a 150 million dollar settlement with the U.S. government um, for the same reasons, not reporting these uh, suspicious orders, and that was in another state. I'm not sure which state that was, but there's been a history if you look at these companies of uh, you know, doing these large, dis- excessive distributions and then um, reaching uh, settlements, uh, making promises. Um, there, there was one thing we noted in our article that after McKesson was fined one year, a couple years later, they paid the $150 million fine. But uh, before that, the CEO of McKesson said that, uh, you know, this thing was, these kinds of things, we've taken steps that these things won't happen again, but they continue to happen. They continue to pay the fine. Um, and lawyers would argue that it's they're just a sort of, actually our Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia has said publicly that it's a, that it's sort of their business model, that it's the cost of doing business is these settlements. Hmm. So, and going back to the, to the number of this latest settlement between the two companies, the Thirty-six million total. Um, you know, interestingly enough, the way the numbers work out, they would appear for that one year. Uh, that would be roughly, in round numbers, about a third of what the CEO of uh, McKesson made on uh, the year in question. There. Yeah, it's an extraordinary amount of money that they're bringing in, and um, the settlements. We've had a change of administrations here, um, and. From what I gather, um, they're 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 pleased with the settlement money that they got, um, and it's you know I think that they would have the number I'd heard 
there, they have reached previous settlements with some smaller companies. So the, the grand total to date is $47 million that they've gotten from if you bring in a dozen other wholesalers into the mix. They also have an outstanding lawsuit against McKesson that <clears throat> currently is in federal court and hasn't been settled yet. And uh, if you do the math, McKesson's our number two supplier. And if you look at, you have a settlement of $20 million for Cardinal and 16 for Amerisource Bergen that uh, you would think that you would hope to see a, a number around $18 million. So um, you can add that to the $47 million. Wow. Okay. Um, let's move on. There's a point that I want to go back to, and that is this: <clears throat> their overshipment and what it amounted to per uh, per household, per actually per every man, woman, and child. That it was the equivalent of 433 pills. What would be the value of that? Would you estimate on the street there, Eric? Well, Greg, that depends on the, of course, on the uh, strength of the pill. Um, you know, hydrocodones uh, here in West Virginia, I've seen them sell for as little as $5 a pill. Uh, Oxycontin, depending on the strength, could run anywhere from 15 to $50. So uh, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but I think it would probably equate to about $6,000 or so. But again, it depends on the strength of the pills, the location, what part of the country you're in. Um, so it's just a real guesstimate, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But part of the uh, kind of the economy of the black market that's uh, uh, being uh, highly contributed to there, I guess, through this practice was the correct the, the the point there. Okay, so most of the top opioid purchasing pharmacies seem to be located in the same part of the state, based upon the the article and the graphic that you had in uh, in the article. Yes, uh, as I mentioned, um, they were the small mom and pop pharmacies, and they were in the they were in southern West Virginia. Uh, that's our coal region. Uh, they call that the southern coal fields. Um, it's our poorest part of the state. It's economically distressed right now because of the downturn in the coal industry, and and certainly was back in the time of, of when these pills were being shipped there. Um, it's just. Uh, uh, an area where there's low life expectancy, um, a lot of health issues, a lot of people out of work. Um, but we found that, uh, you know, you had some of these small, small counties in southern West Virginia were getting five, six, seven times as many pills as, as counties that were much, much larger, uh, in, in, let's say in the northern part of the state. So um, it was definitely uh, targeted to the southern West Virginia region. Hmm. And so can you speak to the correlation between overdoses and the location of the pharmacies with the most opioid purchases? Yeah, I mean, we had two maps. We published two maps and and showed that uh, where the largest uh, number of pills were being shipped were also the areas of the highest overdose rates. Um, what was really striking is um, there's a new database called the CDC Wonder Database that you can kind of narrow your um, searches. And if you want to look at synthetic prescription opioids, um, you can you 
and what we were finding when you when you enter this database, what we saw was that the top four counties in the United States for overdose death rates or overdoses per person, drug prescription drug, opioid overdoses per person, the top four were all in West Virginia, in southern West Virginia. And then if you look at the top ten, I think um, there's probably two or three more counties in West Virginia. And then if you look in the top 20, there's another five or six counties. So West Virginia really dominated the the map when the national map when you look at on the the overdose death rates for, from drug overdoses um, the the other counties that were high on the list were all in the eastern Kentucky region and uh, southwestern Virginia which are also big coal regions and then there was one county in Utah that was in the top 20 and I'm not sure why that was but that was one that kind of stood out Huh. And so you said that this is the CDC Wonder Database? Yeah, the CDC Wonder Database. It's a, it's a, uh, a look at um, uh, death, death rates by different um, drugs and causes and things like that. Is that available yeah. to anyone? Um, yes, it's available to anyone. It's a little, it's a little tricky to use. Um, I had somebody from... Uh, our our DHHR, the West Virginia Statistics Center, that uh, helped me out to use it. Um, I can later, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I can give you the um, the URL for the database. Because um, you can, you know, you can do it by county, you can do it by state. Um, there's all sorts of uh, different interesting ways to, to use it. Um, and they update it frequently too. I think it's um, I think it's 2007 to 2015 right now. So you can break down by year, county, state, drug, um, all sorts of different things. So how might our users um, access this and, and use it for you know their own information purpose? I mean, in other words, would this be something that would be valuable for say a community to? check out and, and look at and what information yeah, think, would they come back with? Yeah, I think you could look at your, your counties um, or your region of your particular state. Um, and it, you know, uh, for instance, um, you know, of course, the, the growing um, uh, cause of over, drug overdoses now is heroin. Hmm. Um, that's not something I looked at, but with this database, you could you know, you could literally see the increase in heroin and break it down by county and um, uh, state or region, whatever you wanted to do. Um, so it's it's not just for prescription drugs, cause, other causes of overdose deaths you can look at too. Okay. So the available data that you were provided is now about four years old. Any idea what's happening today? Yeah, um, as I just mentioned, there's been a dramatic, there's been a slight decrease in hydro, uh, hydrocodone. There's, no, it's, it's bigger than a slight. It's, it's definitely gone down the hydrocodone overdose death. The oxycodone deaths, overdose deaths are about the same. 
but of course, the big increase has been uh, heroin. We've had a 400% increase over just the last three years in heroin overdose deaths. Um, your listeners might know uh, about a story out of Huntington, West Virginia, where earlier this year, or well, actually last year, they had 20 plus overdose deaths, uh, overdose overdoses within a four-hour period, and I believe six to eight people died. Um, that made national news. Um, yes, we did a podcast one, with them yeah. on that. Um, and then the other one, of course, uh, I've noticed is the fentanyl uh, has become another one that's rising even more rapidly than heroin, frankly. Um, when I looked at the uh, overdose death statistics for the current year, now they're not full through the end of the year, but um, those two drugs uh, are are the big uh, overdose killers now. Um, and ma- many would argue, or health officials would argue that, uh, of course, that the prescription drugs are opioids and the heroin and fentanyl are opioids and that the, the two go hand in hand and the, the prescription opioids set the table for, you know, the switch to heroin, which is uh, cheaper, and there's been a crackdown on the pain pills, so they're more readily available to heroin. So what can be learned about the opioid uh, distribution pa- practices there in West Virginia that maybe can be uh, shared and, and uh, with other states, and other states can benefit by it? Well, I, you know, I've had calls from other states um, the same data is probably not going to be available in their states, but I'm I'm almost 100% certain it's, it's probably the same story in, in Tennessee, in uh, Missouri, some of these other, uh, Kentucky, the same type of thing. Um, it, again, it's, it's uh, the poorest counties, the most rural counties, they're getting the largest number of pills and I think there would there actually would be some ways um, through the federal level and I don't know if it would require pressure from uh, senators or, or whomever this that's the one thing I've recommended to people that call from other states is talk to your senators and say you know the the DEA released this information to the Attorney General in West Virginia we think we should be able to see the same same data for our state, um, but uh, the DEA um, has a reputation that the DEA stands for don't even ask. They're very uh, uh, tight-lipped about a lot of things, so I'm not sure that would happen, but if enough pressure is put on, maybe they would release some of the same statistics. Certainly, and it seems to me that that would be very, very valuable for any state to have. I mean, Greg, the um, and I and I realize why this is closed, but every I think every state has what they call a, a prescription monitoring program or a controlled substance monitoring program. Um, those programs um, not available to the public, but available to law enforcement, and usually run out of the board of pharmacies. Um, they they have a record of every prescription that every doctor writes and that every pharmacy fills. So. Um, there's an, there's an 
incredible amount of data available out there, but uh, it's not it's not made public. And you know, there's arguments that um, you know the guy, the doctor who prescribes the most uh, oxycontin, may be doing it for legitimate purposes, like um, you know, cancer patients, that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, we don't want to unfairly tarnish somebody like that, but but there is there is data available. There there's even in our state they're matching the prescriptions that are written to the overdose deaths. They get a monthly or quarterly report on all overdose deaths at our board of pharmacy. So they're matching them up. But none of that information is made public. It's all kept private. Okay. Well, I tell you, this has really been very, very informative, Eric. What uh, final thoughts would you like to share about the opioid epidemic in general um, or, you know, this issue of distribution and and getting it under control within West Virginia? Well, I think um, one thing I'd say to people is, um, you know, don't let the, the politicians just get away with saying, I'm fighting... Uh, the prescription opioid problem, or just the opioid problem in general. Um, I don't know how it is in your state, but here it seems to almost be like a trend to say I'm the opioid, uh, anti-opioid uh, guy. Absolutely. Um, Same thing here, Eric, in Ohio. Yeah, I mean, yep. it, it is, everybody that runs for office, they say, I'm going to fight, fight, you know, my number one priority is to fight opioids, but the problem continues to get worse. Um, the, the legislation that's introduced is also uh, mostly written by industry. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I don't, I don't know what necessarily what the solutions are, but you know, I, I would, I would stay on the legislators and, and get them to do, you know, the right thing, get them to follow through on their promises. Outstanding, great, uh, great advice. Well, Eric, I want to thank you for uh, your time today. As I said, very, very informative, and uh, we'll continue to follow your uh, your work from uh, from here. So, we've been visiting today with Eric Iyer. Eric is a journalist from the Charleston Gazette Mail, and he's done some outstanding and very in depth reporting on the opioid epidemic in West Virginia. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.